0: welcome to the mercy comments podcast thank you for joining us today we trust that the word of god encourages you and that the holy spirit empowers you god i thank you for jimmy i thank you for the ways you have gifted him i thank you for his willingness to respond to what you have called him to and we just pray that um, he would speak truth this morning and he'd speak from your word and that you would empower him we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Man, <clears throat> you guys having fun? This is, this is great. Ah, <laughs> uh, We have been going through Hebrews. Uh, we are nearing the end. I think this might be the second to last one. I'm going to do a quick, quick review. This slide um, was first shown August 27th. So it's been six months we've been going through Hebrews. Has it been, has it been amazing? It's been so good. And so for the majority, we talked about how Jesus Christ is better than all those things. And then what? Therefore. And so we've entered this therefore section. A couple weeks ago, Carm uh, preached on the Hall of Fame of Faith. I remember hearing that as 30, over 30 years ago. And there's just this mystique about a Hall of Fame. You know, in sports, it's like the, the best players. And then we went into chapter 12, and we get this masterpiece, And it refers to this this great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, that's all of us, endured the cross, despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that is chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And Nick asked, Jimmy, can you preach on verse 3 and on? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I I know the Hall of Fame of Faith. I know chapter 12, 1 and 2. And then you go to verse 3, like, okay. So I had to go and, like, look at it. And uh, it doesn't help because... I opened it up, saw an outline, and the outline looks like this, and this is our roadmap. There's three sections that talk about discipline, and then duties, and then dangers. So those aren't like really like nice words. Uh, I was talking to Nick about this word discipline, and he said, generally in the West, we don't see discipline as a good word. The only time we see it as something that we'll embrace is in, is in dieting or exercise. But pretty much everything else, discipline, not, not that exciting. Duties, I mean, you think about, like, your spouse. Like, I love my spouse because it's my duty. We don't like that word either because we, we want to really, like, feel it. And then dangers. Like, so this is kind of what we're going into. I don't know how this is going to go, but um, here we go. Verse 3 says, think about the ones. He's talking about Jesus. In another translation, it says, consider Christ who endured with such opposition from sinners so that you won't be discouraged and you won't give up. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood, and you have forgotten the encouragement that addresses you all, sons and daughters. And so this next section, the writer of Hebrew quotes from um, Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, and this is what it says. My child don't make light, or in other words, don't scorn, don't make little of, don't treat lightly of the Lord's discipline, or don't give up. Don't lose heart, buckle under, lose courage, weaken when you are corrected by him because the Lord disciplines whomever whomever he loves and he punishes every son or daughter whom he accepts. And so what we see here are kind of two mindsets to discipline. You can either make light of it or you can either give up. And so make light. I, I have a quote here from um, Making Light, and it says this. Too often, we pay little attention to the discipline and correction of God, to the tug and pull of the Spirit of God, to the little consequences and suffering of our hearts, to the little things that happen to us. As a result, we continue right on, in our little irresponsible behaviors and sins. So, in one way, we can just make light of something, things that happen in our life, we can be like, okay, that was weird, kind of just shrug it off, kind of move on. On the other side, we can kind of take it upon ourselves and just let it kind of just be over, you know, just like, just be this weight on us. And so we kind of give up, we kind of, you know, become discouraged. And so, I have two quotes here. God's discipline in order to get our attention involves things that are painful rather than pleasant. We aren't best trained by blessings but by trials. And C.S. Lewis has a very famous quote about this. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. I'm going I'm to tell you a story about how discipline came into my life a few years ago. If, if, you've, if you've gotten to know me a little bit. I've told stories of of what happened to me three years ago, where I kind of just went off the rails. Um, My marriage was not doing well. I filed for divorce, and it began this kind of series of events. So it was February uh, 2021 where where this process started, and something very interesting happened, and I... I see it as God's discipline in my life. I got into two accidents in two days on a Monday and a Tuesday. And if you know me, I, I don't get into accidents, probably one in decades. But two happened in the same day. And I feel like I didn't react either in the sense of like treating it lightly. I also didn't react in the sense of giving up. Like if um if you get into accident, that's a pretty big deal. But two, like I'm gonna show you a picture of what my car looked like before. Volkswagen GTI, six-speed manual. Oh, I love this car. And then this is what happened. This is what it looked like after. Ooh. so this is a story. It was Monday. I was going to get a, a, a COVID booster shot at Cal State LA. Remember those where they would just huddle you in these masses and just crazy times. I was driving on the 710. It was kind of a misty day. And in front of me was a semi-truck. Behind me was a semi-truck. I was in a lane that was like, we're merging. And I had nowhere to go. And I'm watching this truck in my mirror. And I'm trying to follow this truck ahead of me. And I'm trying to like keep some distance so I would have some time. But the truck ahead of me broke suddenly. You could even see it buckle a little bit. I broke. And then the semi behind me hit my car. And so the trunk. That was Monday. Tuesday evening, I'm driving um, in Hacienda Heights. I guess it's it's an infamous road. It's it's Stimson and Kalima. So I'm I'm driving down, following a car, going about 40 miles an hour. All of a sudden, the car ahead of me just turns sideways, and I just plow into it. I didn't even have time to step on the brakes. It was like so fast. And what what ended up happening was there's a car turning left, the car in front of me hit that car, and then I hit that car. All three cars totaled, three tow trucks came, ambulance, um, police cars. This was March 15th. So it was about a month after we were separated. Mel moved out of the house, and I was alone. And at the the scene of the accident, the, the police came up to me and said, do you have someone to pick you up? And I actually had nobody to pick me up. Uh, for some reason, everybody was gone, and I was stranded in Hacienda Heights. And uh, I just thought of—I I thought of Mel. I picked up my phone. I texted her. I said, um, "I just got into an accident. Can you pick me up?" We hadn't spoken in a month, and and she came and picked me up. And uh, I don't know. It was really emotional for me. But I remember thinking around that time, like. Okay, God got my he, you got my attention. And I guess I had a choice at that point whether to just shrug it off like all oh, that, you know, accidents happen, or I could have been like, you know, God is punishing me. By the way, I don't believe that discipline is God necessarily punishing us. I believe that Jesus Christ already paid the penalty for our sin. He doesn't need to punish us again. So It got my attention, and what happened after that is I checked myself into a recovery program and began a healing process that took the rest of that year, and six months later, we're reunited, and you know the rest of the story. We come into Mercy Commons, just get healed, but thank you, thank you. (laughs) So discipline is an interesting thing, and I want to just cover a few more points in this next section of Scripture Um, where it starts in verse 7. It talks a little bit more about discipline, and it begins here. Hebrews 12, 7 says, Bear hardship for the sake of discipline. God is treating you like sons and daughters. What child isn't disciplined by his or her father? But if you don't experience discipline, which happens to all children, then you are illegitimate and not real sons and daughters. What's more, you had human parents who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our human parents disciplined us for a little while as it seemed best to them, but God does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline is fun while it lasts, but it seems painful at the time. Later, however, it yields the peace, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And so just real quick, a few more purposes of discipline. It shows God's love. In verse 6, it plainly says, um, the Lord disciplines whom he loves. And verse 7 says, God is treating you like sons and daughters. I mean, as I'm standing here now, thinking about what happened three years ago, I feel like God showed his love to me in a very kind way. I mean, yes, I got into an accident, my airbag went off, but I walked away completely like unscathed. Um, the car in front of us i I saw them get you know go to the ambulance, but I heard later they were fine. but I feel like God was so kind, like He just got my attention just enough for me to wake up and then just divert my my path differently, secondly. He disciplines us to share in His holiness, and then thirdly, uh, to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, I want you to just think of another way to think about discipline, and, and, and the love uh, is the opposite. What if God didn't do that? Uh, there's a quote from Jerome from the first century. He says, the greatest anger of all is when God is no longer angry with us when we sin. I mean, can you imagine that we just go along our path and God says, yeah, you're a lost cause. mean, that, if you think the lack of discipline actually shows when discipline is present, he really does love us and he cares for us. Moving on to the next passage, um, in the next part, it, it talks about duties. And so um, verse 12 says, so strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees. This comes from Isaiah, Isaiah 35. Make straight paths for your feet, so that if any part is lame, it will be healed rather than injured more seriously. Or another translation says put out of joint. This actually refers to a broken bone. Has anyone broken a bone? Yeah, okay, I I have also broken a bone. I was in junior high. My brother and I were wrestling WWF style. By the way, when I was growing up, it was called WWF. Um, I'm gonna say a phrase. I'm dating myself, and I actually don't like that phrase because anyone who says I'm dating myself is old because no young, <laughs> no young person says I'm dating myself. Um, another word come up recently is the word rad. Uh, you know, uh, people in the 80s said rad, but then there's like 20-somethings that are saying rad now. Um, so you're, and you're not really sure if they're old or not. But if someone says "rad" and then they say "I'm dating myself, they're old okay, so <laughs> this verse is saying if if there's a broken bone, put it in joint, let it heal properly. don't let this broken thing continue to stay this way. I have a pinky that uh that I broke in in, in playing basketball and it's never healed um, it just can't bend all the way like I don't know if you can see that, but so like We don't, we don't, this is like a a warning against that. Don't, don't let this kind of thing settle. Um, Verse 14, pursue the goal of peace along with everyone and holiness as well because no one will see the Lord without it. Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. And so what we see from this is, is two things, two, two kind of sections, okay, as, as far as duties, the writer of Hebrews says strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees make straight paths. And then the next two says pursue the goal of peace and holiness with everyone. Make sure that no one misses out. And so I see this kind of like as a an inward and an outward thing. The first two are kind of like it's speaking to you individually. Strengthen your drooping hands, weak knees, make straight paths. Make sure that your joints heal properly. Inward work. And after that outward work kind of like when you're on an airplane when the oxygen mask drops down cover your face first then cover a loved one the next part says pursue the goal of peace and holiness with everyone make sure that no one misses out and so another translation it's like leave no one behind There, there was a like a famous military phrase no man behind no man left behind that's the concept here we we want to strengthen ourselves and then we want to make sure that everyone experiences god's grace um last week uh uh, nick spoke about the the roger banister effect where um before roger banister ran the four minute mile people believed it was impossible and then the following year over 300 people broke that four minute mile record this is what this is what transformation in the body of Christ does for us. We see somebody overcome something, and we have the privilege to help somebody through it if we've been through something similar. Uh, when, when Mel and I were going through marital problems, we met with a couple who had been divorced. And then a couple of years later, they got remarried. It was like a crazy story, but their story gave us hope. And... Um, I don't know, a phrase that, that came up for us during that time is is that no one is too far gone. You, you, you know, you, you can go through something, and someone said to us, you know, you think God cares about a piece of paper, you know, a divorce paper? I don't, don't want to minimize that, and I know some people maybe even currently are are struggling in that area, but I just want to offer hope because a passion that Mel and I have is to walk with couples that are going through problems in their marriage because we we went through it. And we came out of it hopeful because another couple walked with us through it. Many, many couples. And so in the duty that we have in this passage, there is joy. Have you ever sat with someone and helped them through something? And at the end of it, you can just tell, like, you were being used to, to help them. I mean, it is like so fulfilling to to do that and so we find joy in it. It, Just like Jesus says for the joy just like the Hebrews one, two verses uh, the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. We also have a joy and it's one another when we go through something and we're able to help someone else through it. Uh, Moving on to the next Passage um, dangers. Verse 15 says, Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. Make sure that no one becomes sexually immoral or ungodly like Esau. He sold his inter- inheritance as the oldest son for one meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, He was rejected because he couldn't find a way to change his heart and life, though he looked for it with tears. I read this. I was like, what are they talking about? Um, First of all, this first part that says, make sure that no root of bitterness grows. When we read that, it sounds like a feeling, but actually the the writer of Hebrews is quoting from um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29, 18, where it's actually referring to a person, a person in a community that, Becomes a root of bitterness that, that causes like dissension among, amongst the community. Um, and so I have a quote here from N.T. Wright It says, um, When people are outwardly part of the community, but inwardly not completely open to God's love and leading, they are capable of saying and doing things which disgrace themselves and the community. Like Esau, they can have a moment of madness which creates a new situation and they can't go back. Um, This is where I want to kind of give a plug for Life Groups. Mel and I recently started leading Life Group and it's been just amazing. And we were just kind of reflecting about this recently that in life, generally, we get to pick our friends. And by doing that, we don't necessarily allow ourselves to be refined because we are choosing the people that that we want and it becomes this echo chamber and it becomes this yeah like you got you know you don't deserve this but when you participate in a life group when you purposely put yourself into one you don't get to choose who comes in and out of that group and what happens is there's this refining that refining process that's inevitable and so i'd encourage you guys if you're not in a life group join one um ours is pretty good we we, <laughs> we yeah what? Uh, we meet on Thursday nights in Brea. Okay. So Nick's not here. I could just say whatever I want, right? Yeah, you no, know, I'm just kidding. But seriously, join a live group. It's for your own good. It might be uncomfortable, but you're going to, you're going to refine yourself. And, 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 and this is a danger that the, the writer is talking about, that a root of bitter bitterness grows. Um, just want to avoid that. The next thing I want to focus on is um, this this phrase he says, uh, make sure no one becomes sexually immoral or ungodly like Esau. Um, Just going to focus on this word ungodly. And um, I have a a quote here of a theologian quoting another theologian, and I'm quoting him, and it says, uh, this word ungodly, it means unhallowed. And so what, what B, it says this, B.F. Westcott sums up this word by saying that it describes someone whose mind recognizes nothing higher than earth, from whom there is nothing sacred, who has no reverence for the unseen. An unhallowed life is a life without any awareness of or interest in God. In its thoughts, aims, and pleasures, it is completely earthbound. Uh, very interesting quote, and you know how we talk about how the Bible is just as relevant now as it was back then? I think it is like, this verse is spot on to what we are going through today. Uh, just last year, Pew Research re- released findings from a survey that they, they did last year, and, uh, the, they asked the question, what is your, re- what is your religious affiliation? And so there's, there's a lot of different answers. And so what came up, uh, the top three, Catholic, the next one, Protestant, the next one, nun. For the first time, they said, for the first time in U.S. history, this category of religious nuns, uh, not, not those kind of nuns, <laughs> those nuns, has, has overtaken any kind of form of Christianity. And so if you think we're... we're, we're becoming becoming not a Christian nation. It's happened. Most people say we have no, and and so their the way they live their life is just completely earthbound, ungodly, unhallowed. Um, and when I when I saw this part of me, I'm, a cynical part of me, was thinking, at least they're honest. I, I feel like a lot of us do live this way, an unhallowed life. You know, what's the next thrill? What's what's the next meal? What's the next fun outing, you know, how are our, how are our lives set apart? Earlier we, we saw that God disciplines us to share in his holiness, and holiness means to be set apart. But day to day, how does our life look any different than, than anybody else? So it was kind of sobering to hear this, um, to hear this statistic. And then lastly, I want to kind of speak on this thing about Esau, when, when I read it, I was, like, completely confused. Um, you know the story of Esau and Jacob. Isaac had a birthright to give. Jacob, um, okay, Esau comes in from hunting, and he's hungry, and Jacob says, yeah, I've cooked some stew for you. And he, and Esau's like, yeah, give it to me. And then Jacob's like, wait, I'll, I'll give it to you for your birthright. And Esau, who's that's an example of, like, a fleshly unhollowed desire he's like okay so he eats the stew and forgets about it and then on isaac's deathbed he's giving away blessings and uh jacob comes in pretending to be esau puts on the the fuzzy arm and esau gives him the blessing right and so and then and then esau just is like in tears and this is what this passage says um and i have i have a quote to kind of what unpack what this means Um, William Barclay says it's better to say that it was now impossible for Esau to change his mind it's not that he was barred from the forgiveness of God it's just the grim fact that there are certain choices which cannot be unmade and certain consequences which not even God can take away once a choice has been made it stands God can and will forgive but he cannot turn back the clock it, that, that's, I don't know, super powerful to me because I know that there are certain people dealing with guilt or shame from something that has happened in the past. But I want you to know, God has forgiven you. Um, I, I just read about guilt and shame this week. Guilt, guilt is something kind of like you associate with an incident. and it could be good or bad and the motivation behind it. Like you can feel guilty, for example, for telling a lie. And then you feel convicted, and then you want to make you want to tell the truth after. Um, shame is 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 always bad because it deals with labeling, and uh, you know instead of saying you know I told a lie, you'll say I am a liar, and I I I don't know, but I I mean I believe there are some people here that might want to feel a release from that, from maybe a a sin or an accident or something that you said or something that happened, that you're still dealing with the consequences of today, that doesn't mean God has not forgiven you of it. He, this quote says, God can't turn back the clock. There's a difference between a consequence of a sin and forgiveness of a sin. And so I just want you to, to feel, feel that release um, if you're still dealing with the consequence of sin. Um, and band, you can come up. I'm just going to summarize... Um, these these three points that we made, discipline, duty, and dangers. And I kind of want to s- reverse those words that have a negative connotation into, into a positive one. And so discipline becomes a display of God's love for us. Duties become a way for us to uncover a source of joy. And then dangers demonstrates God's care for us. And so I want to close with these these. Just a few questions, each relating to one of these points. And so, as we're as we're landing, I, I just want you to think about discipline, and I want you to reflect on this question: Is God using discipline to get my attention? Is there something going on right now in your life that you think, huh, that's interesting? You you, you can react by saying, oh, that you know, it's a coincidence or that's small, but. We learn from a class a phrase: "The universe is speaking to us." That I, we, I believe it's God. But if something is going on in your life right now, pay attention to it. It could be it could be nothing, but most likely God is nudging you towards something. Is there something going on? And ask God what's that about, and 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 how can I respond in obedience to that? Secondly, um, what experiences can I use to help others? I was sharing earlier how the challenges that we faced in our marriage have allowed us to sit with other couples and help them, and what what a privilege um, What experiences has, has God used in your life and um, how you know, it's unique to you, but someone is also probably going through something similar and you're able to help them through that and um, just encourage us encouraging us to step into that and then lastly. Um, Am I feeling guilt or shame from past choices? Um, just want to yeah, take this opportunity. We we have prayer after and if you're dealing with any of these things guilt, shame, um, consequences from past choices um, just want you to receive prayer over it. Um, it's a beautiful thing that this community offers. It's something that we've benefited from and um, just don't want you to leave without that. And then um, lastly, just want to begin where we started. The verse, verse 3 says, consider Jesus. He's, he's, the, he's the reason why. Verse 2 says he's the author or the beginner. And he's the perfecter or the, or the finisher of our faith. It's because of Jesus that we're able to even talk about these things. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that he is the one who begins our faith and he's the one that ends it. And it's not just a promise for the life after. It begins now. And it just begins with this decision. It can can begin with a courage to step forth and ask for prayer. And I pray that if there's anything in our lives that's happening right now that you stir, your spirit stirs within us, to take one little step. And, and we know that you're going to meet us. Uh, so we thank you. Pray In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Jimmy, thank you so much for faithfully bringing the word. Um, I want to start by responding with communion, uh, specifically to how Jimmy landed this morning. Uh, we, in my life, There's been times where I've been stuck in guilt and shame and that kind of is a cyclical thing that keeps me in sin and keeps me held down. Um, And thankfully, because of what Christ did, we have access to freedom. We don't have to live in that cycle anymore. We don't have to live in guilt and shame. And coming to the table and taking communion is a perfect reminder of that access to freedom that we have. So I want to go into communion. There's a table in the back, over here on the left, and then there's um, wine here up front. Let's go ahead and get communion, and then we'll take it together as a community. Let me pray for us as we take communion. God, we thank you that you sent your son, um, who was perfect and lived a a disciplined life that we can look to um, as an example. And I just pray that as we are not always the most disciplined people. Um, we, don't need, we don't need to live in guilt and shame. We can live in freedom knowing that we have access to you through your son. Um, so we thank you so much for the body that he broke so that we could be in relationship with you. Thank you for the spilled blood of Jesus that washed over us uh, to make us new and to bring us into freedom and to bring us into the lives that you intended us to live in. Let's take the cup. Uh, Melissa, do you want to share what you shared with me?
2: Morning, my name is Melissa. Uh, I am a member here at Mercy Commons also known as Jimmy's wife. (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to share a little bit um, about where we are now. I know Jimmy had shared where we were three years ago, but something that I was sharing with him just last night was how thankful I am um, for where we are now and just the growth and maturity that I've seen in him. Like I'm so thankful to have gone through what we went through to be able to experience the joy and the abundance of where we are now. And... um, our wedding verse was from Revelations. Behold, I make all things new. And I just—that's something that I wanted to just encourage you guys here. Like, if there is some um, some areas that you feel like the Lord is convicting you to step into obedience, I just want to encourage you um, with hope of what that looks like on the other end of that, um, not being weighed down by guilt and shame, but really stepping into the obedience of what God has called you to or is calling you into, and the community that he's um, surrounded you with to hold you in safety there. And um, if that's you or if that's like a desire or maybe you don't even know where to start, we would love to pray with you and we would love to hear your story or just be there for, uh, for you however the Lord leads us. So thanks, guys.
0: As Melissa said, there'll be some leaders over here to my left, your right, that would love to pray for you. And I think all of what Jimmy said, the three different responses that he had um, could be applicable this morning. Is God using discipline to get my attention? Maybe God's trying to yeah, get you to wake up and, and try and uh, bring you back to him. What experiences can I use to help others? Maybe you've gone through things like Jimmy and Melissa and you're, you're willing and ready to offer help to others um, we'd love to pray for you if that's something you want to step into and then are you feeling guilt or shame from past choices and do you want to experience freedom from those things any of those areas um, if you'd like to respond there'll be people over here that would love to pray for you and maybe all of this is new to you maybe um, maybe you've never even heard of freedom from these things maybe you've never felt guilt or shame, if that's something that's totally new to you, I'd love to pray for you over here up at the front. Uh, But we're going to go into one more song, and please uh, feel free to receive prayer if you need.
2: Mercy Commons, thank you for gathering this morning. such a delight to stand together in truth, in hope, in grace, to sing the praises of a faithful and good God. Um, Please receive prayer. Um, it is powerful, it is effective it is a gift to us for the rest of us grab your kids, come on back, let's have coffee let's just hang out a little bit together and then there's dessert tonight, so thanks for being here